Hello and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour, home of quality interviews for more than 18 years. That's right, 18 years. Today's episode features an interview with parodist Jerry McCollum of the defunct band Vertical Smile. Reverend Jerry is the man of a thousand parodies. He joined Paul Leslie for an in-studio chat about the parody songs he creates. You know, there's a lot of history recorded on the Paul Leslie Hour, 18 years worth. We'd like to make it possible to all of you around the world. And it wouldn't be possible without you, the listeners. You can help by going to thepaulleslie.com. That's www. Dot the paulleslie.com and click on support the show and thank you to everyone who contributes so hey let's get this show going jerry mccollum on the paul leslie hour take it away guys Welcome, the Reverend Jerry McCollum, to the show today. Reverend Jerry McCollum is the foreman for Vertical Smile, the self-proclaimed kings of Stooge Rock. Welcome, Jerry. Thanks, Paul. First of all, tell us, what exactly is Vertical Smile? Vertical Smile is basically Jeff Pike and me, and it was just, it started as Jeff and I used to sit around making up funny lyrics like every adolescent boy does to songs that you hear on the radio and then it just sort of grew from there into uh, the things that only Jeff and I think are funny which you know some of the songs on the CD reflect that we just do a lot of things that only we think are funny is is kind of the tagline for Vertical Smile Um, Stooge Rock's a Frank Zappa term and Frank used it to describe his uh, rare and, and genius brand of comedic rock, and ours is like a third, like we say, a thirteen-year-old boy's brand of comedic rock. So, how exactly did you obtain the title of Reverend? Well, watching TV, you see a lot of the Reverend this, the Reverend that. You, there's a lot of guys parading across the screen that they're the Reverend this and Reverend that, and 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 I'm sitting there watching that with my wife going. You know, what makes these guys reverends? They're just, they didn't go to seminary. They're not, you know, they're not divinity grads. If they can be a reverend, I can be one too. So I found the Universal Life Church in Modesto and uh, wrote them and said, all right, how do I do this? The next thing you know, I am one. All right. So what exactly, for those of us who are not, for those who are not familiar with Vertical Smile, what is the Jeff and Jerry show? Uh, the Jeff and Jerry show began as a, a series of little stories that I wrote about basically Jeff and his lifestyle. And, and, of course, you have to know Jeff Pike to understand why that even makes, why I would waste any time on that. But Jeff Pike has this sort of unique lifestyle, as as people who listen to Radio Margaritaville might understand. <laughs> and it's it lends itself to uh to comedy if at least in my view and and to ridicule which is what it was always all about and of course Jeff's on in on this from the beginning and so Jeff enjoyed it probably more than any other person which just fueled the fire and and more stories got written about his exploits and things he had done with women guitars animals booze you name it and and it just went on from there and that 
it's pretty amazing, though. People walk up to me and say, oh, I read the Jeff and Jerry show, and it's really bad. Oh, you talk about women so badly. No, I haven't talked about any woman badly. I've talked about Jeff badly, but he laughed about it, so, you know, it seems okay to me. And so what inspired the first album, Pelvic Associates? We had been... uh, we had been putting together parody songs for some time, and, and Jeff just basically came and said, we need to put this out. You know, Jeff's got some CDs out, so he was more familiar with the mechanics of how we could do that. And and it just it just worked out. He said, let's put all these together, write a few more, let's throw them out there. If, if people buy them, fine. If they don't buy them, fine. So it was this self-financed CD project. So tell me, there's some kind of magical place out there called Spondivots. <laughs> what what exactly is Spondivots? Well, Spondivots is one of the absolute mondo bars in the Atlanta area. You know, there was Spondivots Airport forever. It goes back beyond my time. I have no idea when they started. And there's one in coming now that's, that's just as legendary but newer. And um, Spondivots is where we would meet up for lunch and and. Basically, a song might come on the radio when we would think of some way to turn the lyrics around and talk about parodies, talk about what's going on in Jeff's life, and and uh, he would tell me things he had done and some of his exploits, or maybe I should say who he has done, and we would just I would just make up you know think of songs that that fit in and made up things to to fit in there. So a lot of the very first one is. It's just about Jeff and his exploits and, and all the things he's done. And, and like we always said, one, you have to know us, and two, only we think it's funny anyway. So <laughs> so the, the first track on Pelvic Associates is Mental Health Lunch, which is a parody of the Brady Bunch song. Is that tied in with Spondivots? Well, the Mental Health Lunch has become an institution, and, and we like to think we invented it, although... I think we know that it's been all over the nation for a long time. The mental health lunch is what a lot, you see a lot of businessmen in bars at lunch and they're sitting there just pounding at the bar and you know what they're doing is they're having a mental health lunch. They've, they've had all they can take and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm going to make some excuse. I'm going to the bar. I'm going to pound booze the rest of the day. That's a mental health lunch where it's, you know, you've had all you can take. You got to do it for your mental health. And what about the uh, the Yoko Ono parody, The Ballad of Jeff and Jerry? <laughs> well, it, it was basically just trying to find a song where we could sort of tell the story, you know, of, of the things we had done or the things we do. And it, it, we just sort of felt like it was a song that, that put some things together. And uh, I understand you do a lot of uh, Jimmy Buffett parodies. How did that? Uh, what 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 gave you the idea to do that? Well, it's it's really I, I write parodies around songs I'm familiar with, and besides playing them myself, you know Jeff and A One A and and that whole tie in, you know you you're just very familiar with Buffett music, but you know Jeff Pike is such a big part of the parrot the whole parrothead scene and the whole parrothead lifestyle, so it sort of all worked in if you're doing a a parody of a Buffett song, which is part of the whole parody thing, that you're going to do something about Jeff in there. That, that is, if you're in this circle, I realize that, you know, people in Oregon have no idea what the hell this means. But that's that's kind of how that worked in together. We're just very familiar with all the songs. And Parrotheads were the people in Atlanta that, you know, were listening to us anyway, so it kind of worked in together. 
So um, you mentioned uh, uh, Frank Zappa earlier. Uh, tell me a little bit about Jeffy Brown Goes Down. <laughs> well, I, I'm a Frank Zappa fan, but not, you know, no one's a fanatic like Jeff, fan being short for fanatic. But uh, that's that's a song I'm pretty familiar with, again, from Zappa. And it was just, you know, sometimes when you're listening to the original song, or when I'm listening to the original song, words occur to me that would fit in. And especially if I can think of a chorus or a tagline, then I'll take, I'll on purpose take the original words and put them side by side and just make lines to fit the song. But it's all, again, it's always a song familiar with. It wasn't, it wasn't really picked for any particular reason, except again, it's one of the, uh, the songs that Jeff always performed live when he wasn't with A1A. And you also do a parody of The Last Mango in Paris. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that song came to be. Well, my, my old buddy, Big Dave, David Crane, and I were sitting around one time having a few beers, and uh, we were we, he, he sort of participates in the making up lyrics thing, and we were just sort of talking it we were listening to a cd i think and we and we just sort of talked about we were sort of kind of talking about key west and how it had changed you know from when you read in the buffett days of key west how it was this funky hippie place and now it's i've been there and it's much more touristy and and the way it is today and we we sort of imagined that if there were still some old grizzled locals sitting around that they didn't like Buffett and all the stuff, you know, they were blaming Buffett for doing this to their town. Oh, it was this very nice funky place before he showed up. So we, we were, you know, we just went from there and, you know, I went down to Captain Tony's, I wore my Buffett shirt and they kicked my ass. And, you know, it was all, it was that kind of thing because they were all blaming Buffett for turning their town in from this nice little funky place into this tourist trap. So that that's it, it. It just expanded from there, and we kept writing words to fit "Last Mango in Paris." And uh, I understand that you're a big John Prine fan. Uh, tell me how he made his, uh, or how in a way he became evident on this album. Well, John Prine is, uh, besides being just a tremendous American treasure, he's a. Um, I started listening to John Prine probably about age thirteen, just. Because I'm, you know, Jeff calls me the word man sometimes. And I, I'm just, John Prine, you know, paints pictures. He's just that lyricist kind of guy that I wish I was. And I, I know tons of John Prine songs going back to the days when I actually used to play music a lot when I was in college playing at Aunt Charlie's and some of the places around Atlanta. You could do a ton of John Prine songs and people love that sort of thing because they're humorous, they're poignant. There's a lot of things with John Prine songs. Well, um, it sort of fit when I started doing Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian, which has become one of his standards, I guess. I, it just sort of fit into the general theme of Parrothead, Tropical, that sort of thing. And um, that we we decided to put that one on the album straight. I, you know, I wouldn't parody a John Prine song anyway, but it fits the general theme. And uh, I understand that the uh, former Coral Reefer, the harmonica player for Jimmy Buffett, Greg Fingers Taylor, even made an appearance on this album. He did. Um, he laid down tracks that were used on uh, Parrothead Saturday Night and uh, 
help me with that. You've got the CDs in your hand. Was it Beamer? Yes. Uh, one of my two of my favorite things about Fingers uh, and the tracks on Beamer. Um, when Jeff launches into the solo, you hear Fingers go "Yeah" in in the way only Fingers can do, which is just it's just great. Fingers also heard a um, an unreleased song um, called "Keeping the Royalties" and called Jeff and told him it was just the funniest thing he'd ever heard in his life. So he's. I, I wish he was a fan. I wish I could say he was a fan, but he has heard some of the music, and he's told Jeff how much he enjoys it. And uh, tell me a little bit about that song, Parrot Head Saturday Night. Well, you got, you know, it, it, it just fit. It's a party song. Livingston Saturday Night is a great party song. Parrot Heads are party people, so it, it fits the whole thing. And... You know, you got your man, you're put, trying to put the whole scene in perspective. You got your manatee tattoos, Aloha shirts. I had just seen at somewhere we were playing for parrot heads. Some girl showed me a manatee tattoo and it was just this gray blob on her shoulder. You couldn't tell what it was. It looked like somebody <laughs> stuck their used gum there or something. And I'm like, well, you know, as tattoos go, I'm not sure. So I, I was like, well, what is that? Oh, it's a manatee. Isn't it great? And I thought, well, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, that was sort of one of the little things that didn't make any sense to me. So, you know, it's, you got your manatees, tattoos, Aloha shirts, better get ready to drink till it hurts. I mean, that that's what hanging around the Atlanta Parade Club is really all about. I know they do the service things and, and, and they do a lot of good, but, you know, I'm around them during the party times and that's that's what it's all about. Get home just in time to throw up in the sink. <laughs> so um, there even is a second live album called uh, Live at the Keys, and it's even more over the top. Uh, <laughs> tell me about how Live at the Keys came to be. Well, Jeff had been playing at the Keys, which is this little bar right outside the gates of the Air Force Base in Montgomery, and the owner and Jeff you know, know each other pretty well, and Jeff started talking to him about it and said, you know, y'all let us record a live album here, and and the guy was all for it. He just thought it was a great idea, and even financed the project, which of course is wonderful for us. So we went down, Chaz and Coney and Jeff and I. We went down, got got some songs ready, and and went down and recorded right there in this funky little bar in Montgomery. It's and it it was great. And what about the song? Um... Our Favorite Drinks, which is a parody of uh, favorite things from The Sound of Music. You know, I, I, How in the world? <laughs> well, I'd, you know, you, everybody loves The Sound of Music, especially our generation. You, you know, you, you know those songs by heart. And I can't remember now how that occurred to me, except these are a few of our favorite things. I'm sure at some point it hit me, these are a few of our favorite drinks. <laughs> so from there, it was just, you know, you go, I looked up the bartender's guide on the Internet with a, you know, a couple of thousand drink names, and I just found drink names that would fit. And uh, really, just it, it, like great songwriters say, these things just write themselves. It just fell into place pretty quickly. And uh, we can't leave out the masterpiece. He thinks he'll leave for. Please do tell us about that. Well, there's a couple of things about that song. Again, that song gets a bad rap. Um, Oh, it's oh, it's terrible. He's saying he's going to leave her, and they're not listening to the words. What, what, what got me going on that is, I was watching TV, and, and I guess it must have been 
CMT or something, there was the Mary Chapin Carpenter video of he thinks he'll leave her or he thinks he'll keep her. And she was doing it live and with Patty Loveless and all these female country music stars. And it, the camera kept cutting to the women in the audience and they were just, it was a great, it was an anthem for them. <laughs> for some reason, it was an anthem for them. Now, if you listen to the story of her song, I don't know why these women think this is some sort of anthem, <laughs> but they were just going, oh, this is so great. And it was almost like, I mean, they were really pumping their fists, almost like an in-your-face thing. <laughs> and I'm going, what, what, what is that all about? So I, I started thinking about it. Now, wait a minute. Here's, here's a woman who apparently got just what she wanted with marriage and kids, and they had this picture postcard thing, and then all of a sudden she meets him at the door, and I don't love you anymore. Well, I said, you know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So we decided to turn this around and look at it from the other point of view, which is, you know, the guy gives her everything she says she wants, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she doesn't want it anymore. So that that's and that thing that's how that thing came about. I you know I really I really like that. I you know I, I realize I wrote the words, but I, I really like that because it just it kind of turns that story around and says, wait a minute, you know I gave you everything you wanted. I I, I thought this was your dream, and I tried to make it happen, and then all of a sudden you're meeting me at the door saying, well, too bad. <laughs> So it, I, it was just, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's an all in fun, but it's, it's kind of a thing where you're going, you know, that, that story in the original song just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I turned it around and, and kind of told it from the other point of view. Um, the other thing that's particularly, when you listen to that song, Chaz McDonald's guitar work is just him. He's the one that, that makes that with the octave runs and all that. That that guitar work just blows me away every time I listen to it. And uh, you have to tell us about I'll Never Fall in Love Online. Well, that's one of those that came about due to a story I was told about a guy that, you know, is the chat room thing, and he's he's on the chat room, and Jeff told me about and it was I can't remember which one of his many acquaintances it was, but this guy meets this girl in the chat room and they're talking, talking, talking. And of course she's, she's gorgeous and she's this and she's that. And then when he meets her, she doesn't exactly live up to her billing. And it it just sort of came from that, that, you know, in, in this, in this day of internet dating and internet chat rooms, it's here, here's what you, here's what you think you're getting and here's what you're going to get. And you have to tell us about the parody of A Pirate Looks at 40. Jeffy thinks he's 20. I I can't remember how that occurred to me exactly. Um, I think it was, uh, I think I thought of the line, when I was listening to the song one day, I thought of the line, Jeff thinks it's okay to do them when they reach three feet tall or something like that. So I, I just sort of fiddled with it and wrote the whole song. But the best thing about that song is Jeff was playing in Buckhead at, uh, I can't remember the name of the Irish pub, but it's that McDuff's or McSomething, of course. Um, and I went down to see him, and I had that thing scribbled out on napkins or a scrap piece of paper or something. And Jeff was playing solo.
Well, there was some girl he had met just prior to this, and they were a big uh, you know, Things were really happening between them and all that. And I told Jeff there was a song I wanted to do during his break. So it was all set up. He had no clue. I went up there, taped my scrap of paper to the stand and went up and started doing Jeff, he thinks he's 20. And Jeff's standing over with this, with this new flame of his and the next, the next thing you know, she's moved about 20 feet away <laughs> when she hears the words to this song, you know, bend you over in Hemingway's and, and she's like, she's, she's getting as far away from him as she can. So he, uh, and he went over to talk. He, of course, he's dying laughing. And he went over and talked to her and she, she was just like, get away from me. So that, the best thing about that song is how it was presented. And, uh, for the listeners at home, could you please tell us what exactly is said at the very end of He Thinks He'll Leave Her? And please oh, do that, it in the voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, everybody says, oh, you're doing Cartman. That That's uh, Jeff and another one of his old girlfriends uh, after, they had, after they had broken up. Um, of course, she calls back and wants him back. And... Um, Says, uh, I, I'm, I made a mistake. I'm coming back home. I, I miss you. I think about you every day. So it was that sort of thing. That that's sort of, you know, that's a parody of their voices, is what it is. It's that begging little. Well, I, I just, I think about you all the time, and and, and I've made a big mistake, and I want to come back. So that's that's what's going on at the end of that. And that voice makes an appearance in another song entitled, He's Just So Nice. I Can't Help Myself. <laughs> that's written about our, our favorite fictional drummer, and not Henry, but the uh, it was uh, it, it's a story, as it was told to me, about a little tryst between the drummer and, and a certain female, and... Uh, Again, that came about because when Jeff was telling me the story, the, the uh, he was he literally was asking this girl, "How can you do this? Don't you know this? Don't you know that? How how can you do this?" And when Jeff told me, it said her, her answer was, "Well, he he's just so nice," <laughs> which just. Again, the little Cartman thing came in there, and off it went. It it, it kind of wrote itself. For, I can't sing that song, so Chaz, Chaz sang it for us. All right. It was a pleasure to have you on the show, Jerry. Um, get in touch with him. If you want to get married, of course, there will be a fee. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. 
and we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.